This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. I'm Kathy Worthington, and I welcome you to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today, our special guest is Anthony McNeil, entrepreneur and founder of Premier Sports League's franchise. And I'm Mary Elkins. Anthony has built several businesses, and is it, he has advice for other entrepreneurs and people wanting to start their own businesses for the first time. Welcome, Anthony. Well, hello, and thank you for having me on your podcast. It's great to have you. Tell us a little bit about your background and how you started in business and what your early influences were. Well, I, I started in business by happenstance. I, I didn't intend to go in business. My, my education's in civil engineering. And uh, in my early 20s, I kind of cleaned carpets to make some money to go to university. And it just happened that one of my best friends um, landed a, a contract with a national retailer and that involved uh, carpet cleaning and, and he looked to expand and he approached me and asked me would I be his first franchisee and he's never been a franchise and I'd never been a franchisee and I was young enough at the time 24 25 that I figured what the hey I'll just uh, I'll give up my my job and I'll go try this and see where it takes me and so um, you know 31 years later uh, I'm still in business and I've never looked back and we're probably five or six businesses. Hmm. And uh, yeah. And I said, I, I would get, I would, I don't know if I had a single influencer to say as, as much. I think um, as I've gone through my business at different times in my life, different people influenced me. Um, I've got to give a lot of credit to my friend, uh, Jeff Hunt. He, uh, um, you know, he, he took a gamble and he put everything on the line and he really learned franchising um, on his own and I, and, and worked hard at it. I, I, I was inspired by that to see one of my, uh, high school friends, uh, become super successful. When I left, uh, the, that particular franchise, he was bought out by the national retailer and made a great, uh, a great bit of money and, uh, went on to buy a professional, uh, sports team. So, uh, I always kind of looked up to him for his successes. Um, but I got to say, I think probably if, if it's all said and done, my greatest mentor was probably my dad. Um, just his work ethic, um, the fact that he didn't make a lot of money. We were, you know, we're probably, our family was probably on the low end of, uh, of the pay scale in the, in the community we lived in. But um, he, he put a lot of work, hard work in and everything he did, he did with, uh, with pride and joy, uh, regardless. And, um, you know, taught us a lot of morals, taught us a lot about, you know, you, you, uh, you stand your, your ground and, you know, if you believe in something, you, you go for it and, you know, you don't compromise and uh, you be honest and truthful and, you know, all the good morals that as a teenager, particularly, 
you know, they were kind of nice warm fuzzies, but when you get into business and you're faced with these moral decisions, um, yeah. you know, you've, you've got to go back and really dig deep. And I, I, I got to say that that's probably the greatest foundation I've had that I, I regret it not appreciating a lot more when I was a kid. Where were you growing up? I grew up in the north of Canada in a small little mining town called Labrador City. Mm. And uh, if you look on the map, go to the uh, <laughs> northern Quebec, and um, it's part of the Newfoundland province, Newfoundland and Labrador, and uh, spent my from zero to 20 there. And, uh, you know, everybody either stays and works for the mines or you leave and you go out into the world. And I, I chose the second option, and, but made some good friends. And the connection there with my friend Jeff is that we grew up together in high school. And, um, wow. So, you know, we, we've stayed together as friends for 40 some years now and uh, continue to be friends. And I continue to, um, uh, you know, toe the, the line and, and um, you know, live by You're my- You're so lucky. Yeah. Lucky to have that. Yeah. What was the most memorable experience you had when you first started your career? Well, I think the most memorable experience is the, probably the most dramatic experience. Um, my parents retired and moved to a small town in Cape Breton. <laughs> and in order for me to get into business, I had no money. I was, you know, young. And so I had to borrow some money from my parents. In order for them to get money, they put their retirement home up on the block for the bank loan. Um, and so I had a lot of them on my mind and I obviously felt the pressure to, to do well. They didn't even bat an eyelash. They, they knew that if this is something I wanted. They'd, they'd be willing to take the risk. Well, it turns out that in 1990, we had a tax that came into Canada called the goods and service tax. Uh, it's called the GST. So essentially what it was at the time was 7% tax on everything, services, products, you name it, right across the board. And so we hit somewhat of a little recession as soon as that came out. And uh, the recession happened on the quarter of the year where I made most of my money in the carpet business, and that's leading up to, uh, to Christmas. And so I didn't make the money. And I'm now going into the winter where things slow down and I have a pile of bills. Um, and I just don't know how I'm going to make it because I need to keep, you know, the fuel in the vehicles, I need to keep employees. Um, and I just didn't know I was going to make it. And, and so, uh, re regrettably, on the, on, the, on the learning side and, and the memorable side was, all I could think was I'm going to lose my parents' retirement home. And that's it. Mm. You know, they're in the business and everything they worked for for 30 years is gone, right? And um, mm. so that, that, to me, is probably the the most memorable, albeit not so positive, hmm. but it, you know, it's one of those things that they say, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and I just felt that I went back to Jeff again and we sat down and we put a plan together and essentially the plan I thought would never work. It was one of those, we, he said, go back to every one of your suppliers, offer them one twelfth a month. So in a year you pay everybody out. People I owed $12 or I've owed them $1,200. I broke it into 112. Hmm. Uh -huh. And I just put my nose to the ground and paid cash for everything at that moment. And uh, fortunately, and through a lot of blessings, I managed to pay everybody off. And uh, I think that was just a, a lesson in per perseverance. You know what I mean? Um, and just. And a good lesson in economics, too, it sounds like. Absolutely. Yeah. And was I mean, there ever a time you felt that business was not right for you? 
Uh, there's been many a times. Lots of <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's like everything in life. I mean, I've reached some really lows in business. Uh, I lost a business 10 years into it. Um, we hit a cash flow crunch. We were expected to be purchased. We kind of let the foot off our foot off the gas a bit. Sales went down. We thought it was just a simple buyout. The people, the, the company, the, the group that was going to buy it decided not to. And we just couldn't re, uh, re- recover. <laughs> and, uh, and so then next thing you know, we couldn't make payroll. I, I was fully extended. Um, this was with the same franchise, the national retailer, because we had actually expanded that point down in our operations down in Delaware. And so we were running a, our business in Delaware, Pennsylvania, in addition to Nova Scotia and PEI. And we were spread pretty thin. And then we, we essentially lost our line of credit, which was our cash flow. And so we had to start shutting down operations. Oh, and yeah. it closed everything down and sold what we had. And so here I am now 35 years old. Uh, I've got 10, 11 years of hard work into the business and it's, everything's gone. And I, and I got to think that, you know, at that point I felt, you know, maybe I'm done. Maybe that's it. And, uh, you know, it was a good ride. Uh, I was single at the time, so I didn't have any um, obligations to family. Um, and I just said, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this again. Uh, and it just so happened I did a little bit of consulting. Uh, I found that I did learn a lot in those 10 years, and I felt I had something to give. And I decided that maybe I should dabble in a few more businesses and just see if this is what I want to do. It just seemed that every time I hit a low, there was a calling to go back into um, mm-hmm. something and create Everything's something. an opportunity. Yeah. And, and it's and, good and, you, you know, listened to the call. You heard it. Yeah, and you know what? I, I think it's still calling me. I mean, I like to think that this is the last one, but who knows? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think I, I've learned so much in the last thirty years in the four different businesses I've had, and, and self-employment through some consulting. That um, mm-hmm. I think I'm better equipped today than I ever was, including the losses, including the, you know, I you know you look back and you see you, you lost your business, you think, you know, how can that be helpful? And um, looking back now, I just. I just look back and I think, you know, that probably was a, was a stepping stone as opposed to a stumbling block. On, on the other side, what would you say your big, biggest success to date is or was in business? Well, I, I got to believe it's, it's it, my biggest success. I'm still in it. Um, I'm still experiencing it. And, and I'll tell you why, because I never thought that I would take a business outside of my small geographic community. And typically that's the business I own. They were confined to the city. You know, it was pretty easy. You put some advertising out. Um, you know, you, you hire a couple employees. You know, I, I can almost do that in my sleep now. It was looking back at that. That that's almost so easy to do. But this mm-hmm. next step for me was saying, okay, how do I take this small business I had and scale it? So now that I have to duplicate everything, and now I have to go out into the world as a franchise and ask people to invest in my model. And invest in me and that's not something i was accustomed to and uh, i started that when i was 50 that that, that concept and uh-huh. uh, actually and I, I was like man should i be doing this you know what i mean like this is way way out of my comfort zone and so i think okay. every day or i wouldn't say maybe not every day but certainly as i hit those milestones over the last five years i just keep looking back and thinking each milestone is is, is my my next best success Oh, it's fabulous. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And I just, I just find that 
you know, I, I don't want to settle and I don't want to ever feel that I've reached that success. And maybe that's just the way I'm, I'm programmed, but I think mm-hmm. that keeps me going. It's a good attitude mm. to have. What, what yeah. would you think were the most challenging things you had to do? Um, well, I think the most challenging thing is just entrepreneurship itself, um, especially if you're not groomed for it, which I didn't think I was at the time. You know, my first challenge started off, how do I manage my cash? Um, you know, my first, like, understanding finances, understand marketing. Like, There's been a number of challenges. I mean, obviously the one, that uh, the, I lost the business. That was another challenge. Um, but I, 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 I wouldn't say I, I can can't recall really one single big challenge other than um, really trying to find what I'm in business for. And I think that's the the, the challenge that, that I have. And I think I found it with this one. And all my business has always been I start them off with spreadsheets. Okay, how much money can I make in this? Right. And, and you do the calculations and the gross margins. And then if you're comfortable with that, then you say, okay, great. I can make some money. Off I go. And here I go to make some money. This business was different. Um, this business I approached from how can I have an impact? Uh-huh. How can I make a difference? And uh, I didn't look at a budget for almost a year after I started this business. And tell our listeners the name of this business since we it's haven't pretty- gotten to that. Yeah, it's Premier Sports Leagues. So, um, yeah. Let's talk uh, about that a little bit. Um, What made you decide to venture into this enterprise and and why, tell us more about why this business is so different from the others. Well, originally it wasn't going to be a business. Originally, my son actually came across uh, these weird looking sticks. They were called floorball sticks. And he saw a video of a guy doing what they call a Zorro. So it's like a little spin with the ball. And, um, you know, he wanted to get a set. So I couldn't find anywhere in, in the local area. I, I tracked down a, a, a distributor in Toronto. Uh, I ordered a couple of sticks. He brought it into the school. The school loved it. The school said, hey, this is a great little sport. We'd like to order uh, a bunch of equipment. I placed the order. And meanwhile, I was, I was one of my business was a real estate brokerage. So I, um, I was a real estate agent slash broker. And uh, I had my own brokerage. And um, I felt, okay, this, this might be something I can do, um, you know, import these sticks and sell them to different kids. I, I always coached hockey or refereed hockey or, you know, I was always kind of involved with sports with my, with my son. And I thought this is a neat little sport that I think kids can enjoy. Tell and us so, more about the leagues, would you? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, then I, I got to the point where uh, kids wanted to play. I went into schools. Schools loved it. Um, and then the schools were asking me, where do I send the kids after school? Like they're playing the sport. So I said, well, I guess I got to kind of have a league, got to have a place for them to play in the community. And so I, I started a couple of leagues and we got a good turnout and kids were just amazed at that, at, at the sport. And so I got to the point where I, more and more people in different communities were asking me about starting a league in their community. And, um, I didn't know how to do it. I just didn't want to do it. I just didn't want to spread myself that thin. Uh, and so I found a couple of volunteers and some worked out, some didn't. Uh, the big challenge when you, when you put volunteers in place is that they're, you know, they, they're there while they're there, but when they leave, you have to go find someone to replace them. And the difficulty with that is you've got something in motion and now you have nobody to run it. So you become that jack or you have to go out there. And I thought, you know, I said, there's no way this is going to grow if I keep having to be there. 
And so what's the way I can grow this and reach more kids? Um, and I, I went kind of deep into my business history and I just felt like standardizing things and scaling vis-a-vis -vis a franchise mm -hmm. would be the, probably the best way to go. Now, at the time, it wasn't as a franchise as such. I just said, let me just standardize things and I'll just get into, into agreement with somebody that they have to kind of follow this way and do these things just so I know it would get done the right way. Um, and But as I put more and more into it and I realized that there's a lot of different tools, software, marketing that had to go into what they call the organized sports uh, market, I realized that I was creating more than just uh, the sport of floor blind. I realized that there's more to it than just sticks in the ball and renting a gym. Uh -huh. Then I had to make a decision. I had to say, look, I'm either going to do this full time or I'm going to let it go and, and just stay in my real estate business. Um, and I just, I started studying the organized youth sport market. Say like, what, what's the market like if I do go with this? Come to realize that the organized youth sports market in North America is a $1.9 billion industry. Uh -huh. And I, wow. I was like, okay, this is a big business. Like, um, why? And the further I drilled down, the further I realized that uh, youth sports is, is essential for youths in, in more than just the physical or more than just the sports-specific way. Uh, but I also started uncovering in a lot of these like, iconic organizations and groups across uh, the U.S. and Canada were saying, you know, we're, we're reach we have a problem with youth sports now, um, and it's starting to break. Um, and there are a number of shortcomings. And, and of course, that as a, as an entrepreneur, that you start thinking, okay, wh why is it breaking? What's happening here? And is it school I, budgets? Is it school budgets that breaks it? No, you know what? It's it's. I can't pin it to necessarily the the, the professional leagues, but it's a combination of the hype of sports and the and the high paid athletes and the parents wanting their child to be the next pro athlete. Yeah. Huh. And so what happens is that a lot of the sports started morphing into um, win at all costs. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Or early specialization or um, funding went into elite athlete development. And, and, and that all was kind of at the expense of the kids that just wanted to play sports. You know, they, the yeah. tears start to happen. Thousands and thousands of dollars. You hear stories about parents double mortgaging their house to get their, their child to the next level. And it just, I, the more I read, the more I saw that it, it was systemic. And, 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 and then the real challenge is I don't think anybody realizes, I don't think maybe there are some, some ill intent from the odd person on the executive or something like that, but I just think it naturally drifted that way. Hmm. And, uh, and so when I read more about these large organizations starting to talk about the shortcomings, I mean, I read a quote the other day from, I don't know, I think she's the direct, some director with uh, uh, Under Armour. And she was saying, if parents knew where youth sports were going, um, they'd be really upset. I, I can't really quote her, but essentially what she was saying is that youth sports is going off the rails mm. and uh. we don't know, right? And so the more I read about it, the more I saw that there was a problem. But the more I also realized as I read that, wow, how, how powerful is sports for, for youth? M much more than just the, they become good at the sport. It's all the life skills, you know, that, that mm -hmm. it teaches you the, the endurance, the perseverance, the resilience, you know what I mean? Um, motivation, goal setting, all the things that come with playing sport, if the sport is played right and the, and the environment is right. So 
I just, I, at that moment, and I, I alluded to earlier, I just felt inspired that in my, uh, you know, as I drift past 50 and start casting shadows, I felt, you know, my next business needs to be something where I can go and make an impact. And I think mm-hmm. I can make an impact in this industry, I think. And I think I have the sports to do it because these sports that I picked up, I uh, picked up floorball, futsal, um, uh, commonly known as another sport, commonly known as spike ball, we call it dive ball. These are all very easy to learn, easy to play, affordable, um, safe, um, kind of fun sports. And so it's just a matter of me saying, look, I want to take these, these, these sports that kids know nothing about. There's no professional players where they can, uh, you know, they can, they can, they can aspire to and want to, you know, win at all costs. They can just literally come and learn a new sport. Yeah, right now we're all watching the Tokyo Olympics and all the interviews are all about, well, uh, what do you want from this Olympics? And when the person doesn't say, I want the gold medal, the announcer feeds them that and says, you didn't mention winning. Don't you want a medal? And and one of the swimmers was saying, no, I just want to learn to be a better person. (laughs) You don't get that many people. No, that warms my heart because that that is that 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 leads me to believe that the tide is changing back to the way it should have and so i you know i want to i want to be part of that um i want to be able to bring these new sports in in an environment where i can have some um some control over and and what i mean by control is in partnering with people in communities that see the value and vision of sports and the benefits that sports brings to the youth um as as kind of our primary objective uh, i think that right person would be the type of person that could have such a positive impact on, on a child. And, and a lot of these child, children, um, you know, they, this might be their only hour that they play that they feel like they belong somewhere. I and mean, what would you say are, are three core principles that you have gleaned over the years about being in business? <sighs> well, I would come from all your years, I guess. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, Maybe they didn't necessarily come from my first couple of businesses, but I, oh, I, I yeah. believe the biggest one right now is why. You know, my biggest reason is why are you in business? Uh, it can't mm-hmm. be just for the money. You know what I mean? Like there has to be some kind of emotional connection and something that says, um, I'm, I've, got a, I've got a greater purpose here with this business. And I'm not saying it has to be so euphoric that uh, you're changing the world. It just needs to be able to, you need to get up every day with, the proper heart. Um, and so that's something that I've, I've learned in the last four businesses, now my fifth. Um, the second one I think is that you you have to, and again, I'll take this all the way back to, um, to what my dad had taught me about morals and stuff like that. Like you really have to, you have to run your business as if you, as is, as if you are that business and, and you are the personality of that business. And that means standing strong in your morals and your convictions. Um, and if that means losing some business, it means losing some business. Um, there's a lot of businesses out there. They'll, um, they'll, they'll, I don't know, they're chameleons more than anything. They'll, they'll change as the, as the wind changes. And there's really no, uh, you can't, you, you can't really determine what they're, who they are. And I, I think that's a shame to be honest, because um, if you don't know who you are as a business, um, then I don't think you know where you want to go. Hmm. Uh, and I think the third thing is, is you just have to, your business has to, 
it has to give back in some some way, shape, or form. Whatever that give back is to you. I don't think business should be where it's all about you. You know, all about your needs and, and satisfying your needs. You know, I, I think it's it's. I recently used the analogy of, um, you know, you're on a plane and they give you that those 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 warnings that if the oxygen mask drops down, you know, you're put on yourself first, and then you're to put it on your child or the, the person next to you. So. I kind of think business a little bit like that. You have to take care of your business. It has to work. It has to make money. It has to survive. But I think there's a responsibility other than just yourself. I think the next step is to reach out to somebody, a community, in my case, children, you know, maybe underprivileged children who don't have the opportunities. Um, uh-huh. You know, people who are struggling mentally, children are, are finding that the some of the sports they're in are just they're they're just not fun anymore um you know that's me but but i think everybody needs to have i think every entrepreneur needs to be accountable and responsible for doing more with their business than just serving themselves mm-hmm. you spoke to this a little earlier but what's the biggest challenge ahead of you with your current business of facilitating youth sports uh, a couple of things, actually. The, the first thing is that it's new. Nobody's heard of us. Um, you know, um, we're in an industry, I don't know so much in both in the U.S., but definitely in Canada, where in the, youth, in the organized, uh, organized sports industry, uh, a lot of these organizations are volunteer-run, and um, which means a lot of turnover, uh, you know, maybe some agendas, who knows, right? But... Uh, uh, maybe not so, so much training. So, you know, we're, we're, we're making that, we're privatizing that to a certain degree. And so we're, we're kind of a stranger coming in, in that industry. Uh, most people don't, you know, they look at private organizations coming into an industry with youth and not for profit, you know, eyebrows go up, but, you know, we're, we, we just want to make sure that we're coming in so that we come in with, with standards and, and uh, ways of doing things and we're, we're sustainable. You know, we don't want to start something. So that's partly why we, we, we went the private route. Uh, secondly is, is, of course, we don't have a, we don't have a brand name yet. Um, but, but we have some sports that nobody heard of. You know, like huh? part of the battle is we have to educate people before they even decide whether or not, you know, they want to join our league. It's not like we have a commodity. It's not like I can say, you know, we sell burgers or steaks. You know, we sell a sport one of our sports called floorball, uh-huh. right? And so the question begs is, well, what's floorball? So there's, there's an element of, we have to explain our product. Then we have to sell our business. So it's kind of a two fold step. Um, and to do that, we, we essentially have designed programs um, where we can go into schools and we can go into uh, minor hockey or minor soccer associations, give them a little, what I call a sampler, and uh, that just enables them to test our sports at no very little risk to them. And uh, if they like it, there's, we, we then move them up and into our leagues for, uh, for some play. Oh, that's fantastic. And you also, you launched Premier Sports Leagues during the pandemic of 2020. So how has that impacted the progress of the new venture? And where did you launch it? Well, it, it, like most ventures, it, it, it it shut us down. It slowed us down. But we, the, the thing is, we, we weren't, we didn't have a lot of momentum anyway. You know, the four years leading up to the pandemic was all about testing, trying new things, um, 
modifications to systems, marketing colors and what works, what doesn't, you know, vetting a number of sports management software. So by the time we were ready to go, hmm. pandemic, we, we didn't lose a lot of momentum. We just got mm-hmm. a late start. And, uh, oh. but it, you know what it gave us, I'll be honest with you. It gave me time to look back and everything I created in four years and really put a, uh, put a, put a, put a, a more lean eye to it. And I made a, quite a bit of adjustments. Um, for example, we were originally premier floorball. That was, that was our business leading into the, uh, the pandemic. But then I realized, you know, sitting back in that we're more than one product. We everything we've created really has nothing to do necessarily with floorball. We've created all the sports management, marketing, policies, safe sport policies. Everything we've created surrounds the sport of floorball and futsal, spike ball, and those. And so, we rebranded and we renamed our our, our business to Premier Sports League because essentially, we provide a place for kids to play these sports, but we're not the sport. And so that was a kind of an awakening. A realization and i got to think that you know had i not had some time on my hands um i think i would have missed that to be honest with you so mm-hmm. um, i'm i think that was one of the upsides of uh, the pandemic for us was the ability to uh, pivot a little bit or maybe reposition and uh, mm-hmm. yeah so, you know there's a silver liner amongst all the other stuff but, uh, yes we're always looking yeah. for silver linings at this podcast we always talk exactly about- yeah. Mm-hmm. You you talked a bit about your moral obligations to your business, but how do you define success? Well, I, I you know what? I think success for me is, is personal. It's not. I used to when I was that young entrepreneur, you know, uh, I, I'd measure my success based on what everybody else was doing. Um, I measure my success by my my, my belongings in some cases, uh, you know, my money, my ability to, to uh, you know, pay a bill, and get a tab, or uh, it, it was very much an ego success. I don't know if this is something because I've, uh, I've grown up over the years, I, I gotta believe that there's some wisdom and that wisdom has come, I think, part and part, parcel because of the number of adversities and over, things I had to overcome. But to me, success, uh, I just look at today as, as more of, Again, back to who I am today as a business owner, as a person, compared to who I was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And, uh, and so I think success is more holistic. It's not one thing. Um, you know, how, where do I place my family in relation to my business? Where do I place my faith um, in relation to my business? How does my faith play in my business? As my morals play in my business? Um, if, if I, I think if I get those right, um, when it's all said and done, um, I think uh, that's going to be the determination of how successful I was. And if I do those things right, I, I got to believe I'll have a greater impact on other people than I will on myself. And so I think that to me is the epitome of success is how, how what I have done has made an impact in other people's lives. Mm. That's great. And do you have any advice for people that are building a business and to keep it from becoming just a job? Yeah, um, you're gonna have days it feels like just a job. Um, you know, they're gonna happen. So, uh, and, and it's not gonna be all fun. 
it's going to be challenging. You're going to have days that you're just going to love it. And you're going to have days you're just going to question whether or not you want to be in it. Um, I, I, I'd have to say is, you know, persevere, you know, push through, push through, uh, don't give up, uh, don't place your emphasis on what other people say. Uh, it's very easy for a lot of entrepreneurs to, to, to want to gain some credibility from people, uh, particularly their family. Um, and if they don't get that, 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 uh, credibility or even that, that, that blessing, they feel like they're, they're, maybe they want to give up, right? That's great advice. Have there been some exciting breakthroughs for some of the young people participating in your program? Yeah, there has. Um, um, I, I've got one particular child. He's, he's, he's kind of a poster child. Um, and his, um, I won't use his real name just, just in case, but let's call him Joe. All right. So, so Joe was, was, was in a school and I went in one school and Joe has, has, um, ADHD and, and, um, he was with a bunch of junior high kids, you know, and, and they were kind of like picking on him a bit. And of course the school relied on me to run the lunch program. I mean, for the most part, I could handle it. I could handle kids that coached. Um, but Joe got upset very easily, and that made the other kids kind of feel more powerful. And and they and so I, I just I just kind of went in and I gave them a lot of encouragement. And it was a new sport, and a lot of the other kids didn't know how to play the sport. And so they when 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 he played it, uh, he got it really quickly. He catched he caught on to it, and I just found that he felt like he belonged. And all of a sudden, his confidence went up. And I remember one day I got a call from his mom. At the time, I didn't know his mom. And uh, she said, do you mind if my son comes out and plays goalie? And in floorball, goalies are, you know, we don't have a lot of them. you got to learn it as you go. And I said, yeah, come on out. We've got a spot. And so uh, one of our leagues, he shows up. And then I realized who, it was Joe. I said, oh, okay, gosh, it's great. I, I haven't seen Joe in a while, but it seemed like he loved the sport when I was in the school. I'm glad he's here. Well, he got in nets and he got outscored. It had to be 20 goals on him. And I just felt so bad for him, right? And so, of course, the players were on the bench lamenting because now they're losing. And, um, but, but one of the coaches who was next to me said, you know, we're not here for wins and losses. Right? We're here because we want to play it in sport and everybody belongs here. And so his, he came up afterwards and he said, thank you very much. And he was ready to go. And the coach went back to the players and said, hey, do you want Joe to come out next week? And every player said, yeah. And so we turned to Joe and we said, Joe, how would you like to play for the rest of the season? And this little boy lit up. And I said, okay, great. I said, uh, let me send you some videos just on goaltending and how to move. And his mom, like she was beyond, um, uh, I don't know, appreciative because she just wanted to say, yeah, come on out, I'll play the game and, you know, we'll... Uh, uh, we'll move on. And so the next week he shows up and he's doing these moves that I'm like, he must have watched every video. And he did. And all of a sudden, he's making these saves and the kids are cheering him on. Now, these are very good. The, the, the particular team was on were, were kind of a high level hockey kids. And they just supported him like unreal. It, it was just, it gave me goosebumps. I was so proud of them. Um, and of course, they lost, but it, it wasn't important to them. 
you know, and, and, you know, here we are two years later in, in, into, into this league and uh, Joe shows up every week and still continues to play. And I bet uh, he's won a few too. No question. No question. And that's one of our values is that we want every child. We actually say there's three kind of things we want. We want everybody to come in and feel like they belong to the community, right? Whatever that community is of our sport, of our team. We want them to all have um, a collective mission. Like, why are we here? What are we trying to do here today? It may not be winning. It may be, hey, let's score a goal today. You know, whatever that collective mission is as a group, as a team. And ultimately, we want them to feel like they play, they have, they have a role on that team and in this community. And they belong. And so every, everything we, we talk to them about, everything we, we train our coaches on, is really making them feel like they belong. That's right? fantastic. Yeah. And since this is a franchise, will there be other areas set to launch? Or are you working that through or just doing your, your thing first? Well, I mean, you know, um, uh, I'd like to believe that we're going to launch all over North America. That's the dream. I don't think we're ready yet, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. We, we really want to get five or six franchise. We have three right now, so we're off and running. Mm. Um, you know, I want to get five or six franchises that I know, uh, they call them in, 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 you know, in the franchise world, the early adopters. You know, it's kind of, they steal a line a little bit from the, uh, the IT world, you know, where mm-hmm. we've created what's called typically an MVP, a minimum viable product. We have a, we have a product now that we know works. Um, and so the whole idea is to get those early adopters out there, people who see our, our mission, our value more importantly right now than necessarily the business. Mm-hmm. And so we want to find those first five or six people um, and really prove the model, work out some of the kinks, uh, and then be positioned so that when we do expand, um, a lot of the wrinkles have been worked out. You know, we're, we're based in Halifax, Nova Scotia. So right now we're, we're kind of looking for expansion to be somewhere in what they call Atlantic Canada, that's four provinces on the east coast of, uh, of mm-hmm. Canada. But our natural, our natural move really is is to go to Ontario, and then really, to be honest with you, the the to go south and across the border and down into the east coast of uh, the United States. But to get there, uh, there's a lot of work ahead of us. <laughs> and to be honest with you, that's that's the whole new uh, world in franchising in the U.S. as into Canada. So. You know, we're looking right now that maybe there's an existing franchisor out there that we can uh, we can partner with. Maybe there's um, uh, somebody in the United States that, that has some investment that they could mm-hmm. make this a little easier than us going in and starting all over again in, in the learning curve. So, you know, this next year for us is to really prove our concept better and build on our franchise and then look at the future of going uh, east and south, right, coming down hopefully someday into uh, – into your neck of the woods. Actually, it's a plan. Yeah, I'm looking forward. I think we're both looking forward to seeing this in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. So am I. Like I said, it 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 might take 20 years. I might be 80 years old and you interview me. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Anthony McNeil, entrepreneur and creator of Premier Sports Leagues. You can find Anthony on his website, premiersportsleagues.com, and at Instagram at premier underscore leagues. Any place else, Anthony? No, you know what? If you find those two places, you'll find everything else. So I'll, I'll keep it simple. We're good there. And we want to invite our listeners to visit our website, also lateboomers.biz, 
B-I-Z, and contact us there with any feedback on our episodes. Let us know what you are enjoying. Also, follow us on Instagram, at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins, and on our Late Boomers Instagram as well. We want to serve, entertain, and inspire you. Thanks again, Anthony. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's my pleasure. And listen, thank you for the opportunity to uh, let my voice be heard. Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Calling all speakers. eWomen Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help 1 million fulfilled women each achieve $1 million in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.